You're listening to Behind the Note Podcast with my dad. You're listening to Behind the Note Podcast, brought to you by a musician for musicians. Here, you will get advice toward a successful music career. This show is made to educate, inspire, motivate, and empower. Now, here is your host, Chris Davis. Hello. Thank you so much for pressing play once again. This is episode number 46. Hold on for a second. Music stop. I want some more music. Go ahead. Hit it. All right. At the beginning there, you heard my son, Samuel. And hopefully at later in episode number 50, you'll get to meet my wife also. We're talking about doing a, a co-host episode for episode 50 coming up. Now, about today, the reason why you're here... I have a great guest for you once again. I'm happy to introduce somebody who has recorded a CD independently and has made it to the top 50 on the charts. And besides that, he also has created a great resource. In the beginning, he wanted a place where he could not only find music lessons and drum solos, but articles about music business and motivation and goal setting and career advice and answers dealing with how rather than only dealing with what. And he couldn't find that in one place. So he took it upon himself to create that resource. And as a result, now you can go to drummersresource.com. And there you'll find podcasts, videos, articles, interviews, and other tools. It's geared toward drummers, but really all of us musicians can learn from it. So that's who we have on the show today. But we're going to really talk about what to do, how to overcome adversity. Uh, he, This guy lost everything. Well, he lost a lot. I can't say everything. But he lost a lot within a matter of six days. And he's going to tell you about that. So when we're down and distracted, what are we going to do? I mean, are you going to still continue to press on towards your goal? You should. But how do you do that? How can you come out on top? He's going to tell you what worked for him. And I'm happy to introduce to you right now, Mr. Nick Ruffini. Thanks, Nick, so much for joining us on the show today. We are so glad to speak with you right now. Chris, it's my pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So I just told the people about you a little bit, but I want to get to know you a little bit better. So please tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you like to do when you're not performing music? So I'm a I'm an avid sports fan and uh uh, I love the Phillies, so I watch I watch a lot of baseball. They're horrible right now, so that's not something that's really given me a lot of satisfaction. But I just recently got married, so I love hanging out with my wife. And congratulations, and thank you, man. Yeah, we got married in May, so uh, that's something that's new and and exciting and different. It's a different you know a different step in life. So I love hanging out with her. Uh, we travel a lot, so one of my biggest passions is outside of playing is traveling. Those are the things that really keep me busy. But I also I love business as a as a hobby, which sounds weird, but I really do love learning about business. I love being involved in different businesses, and although it makes money, it's hard to say that it's a hobby. But that's it's it's something that really interests me. It's not just for me. It's never been about just making money. It's been interested in how businesses work, and I've sort of ran businesses and owned businesses since I was a kid. So it's always been something that's interesting. So those are the things that I I like to do in my free time. Without giving too much away at this point. Uh, tell us, how do you make your income as a musician? 
touring work. I do session work. Uh, not so I shouldn't, I used to do session work. I don't do as much session work as I, as I used to, um, because I haven't really concentrated on it as much. And I also run a website called the drummer's resource. And it's a website to motivate and inspire drummers to maintain success and gain success on their own terms. So depending on what their definition of success is, whether it's playing at Madison Square Garden or losing 20 pounds and having better relationships in life. It's a community of drummers uh, to to better themselves in any aspect of either their playing or their life. So I make my money through Drummers Resource. I also do consulting work and things like that for other music brands and uh, touring and gigging. I love it because what you're doing is something that I realize needs to be done, which is why Behind the No Podcast exists. But right now I want to ask you this very, very important question. Don't you come from a family of musicians like doesn't everybody in your family play music <laughs> uh my dad plays the radio <laughs> and, <laughs> That's and, great. Uh, and you know what my, my mom actually my mom played piano when she was younger i wouldn't buy i would by no means say that my neither one of my parents are musicians so i didn't grow up in a house full of you know of musicians and my parents always playing the radio and and playing music around me and everything uh my mom played piano and so once in a while after dinner she would she would play this beethoven piece that i loved um but she was she wasn't a performer she wasn't she didn't play out or anything like that she just it was so my mom's 70 so the you know, when she was a kid, everyone learned an instrument. You know, you learned piano or you learned some sort of instrument and that was part of your curriculum. And so she played piano. So no, I did not grow up in, in a family full of musicians. Quite the opposite. I grew up in a family of, uh, of restaurants. My family's been running restaurants since 1974. So, Okay, that's great. We're going to talk about that then. So I want to know, when did you start performing or when did you pick up your instrument for the first time? Before I started playing drums, I played piano for nine years. So through elementary school, I was playing piano. I didn't start playing drums until I was 15, almost 16 years old. So today, uh, you tell us that you do some consulting work and you have a website. And I want to ask, in your opinion, uh, if your parents owning a restaurant helped you with that? And if so, how? It definitely helped me in terms of how to how to run a business and how to do it ethically. You know, one of the things that I always say that my father taught me was that he taught me how to be well. Aside from taught me how to be a man and how to be a gentleman, he taught me how to run a business, how the value of a dollar, and how to do things the right way. And I think now the reason why I've been successful in business is because I've taken those principles. And always have them top of mind. So everything that I do, I do ethically. I don't lie about things. I don't cheat. I don't steal. And you know, and I, I use those principles in life too. But there's so many, there's so many opportunities to do something shady in business. And I think a lot of people take those opportunities and end up going down a road that they shouldn't be. So I think if you're making five million dollars a year and you're doing it unethically, then you're not a success. And so I, I've always strived to do everything with that, you know, with that sort of outlook top of mind. So that's one of the things that running these businesses or, you know, growing up in all these businesses taught me. And also just the value of hard work and realizing that if you want something, 
you have to work hard for it. And if you work hard for it and you do things the right way, then good things will come out of it. That's perfect. That's a great lesson. I, I was uh, checking out drummersresource.com and our listeners can go there. It's great. It's great. It's a great resource for drummers. Thank you. And you can learn even if you're not a drummer. Some great lessons there. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that you mentioned is that there was a time in your life when you lost your girlfriend, you lost your house, and you lost your job. Man, you did your research. Yes, sir. And <laughs> and, and this happened in six days. I can't. I cannot imagine. It did. And then I turned thirty. Oh, like like <laughs> like two weeks later. <laughs> wow. So that was obviously a, a low point. Um, it was. So I wanted to ask you about coming out of that. What? How did you pull yourself out of that funk? It was and not to be dramatic about it, but it was hard, man. It was a it was a hard six days, and I, you know, and the the days after that were really hard. And trying to figure out what direction that I was going, and I was sort of just searching for something. So I read a lot. I'm a, I'm a really positive person. I always have been. So I'm not one that's normally down or sad or or things like that. But that was a really dark point in my life. So I knew that one, it wasn't typical for me to be depressed and to be down and to be angry and sad and not knowing what direction to go in. So I needed, I knew that I needed some sort of outside stimulus. So I started, I started reading a lot. I read a lot of self-help books and personal development books. I read uh, Think and Grow Rich, which is an amazing book, one of my favorite books by Napoleon Hill. It's the oldest uh, success philosophy book ever written, and it's the highest selling one. And so I, I read a ton of books. I did a lot of research and made it a point to get clarity on exactly what I wanted, where I was going, and how I was going to get there. And once I had that mapped out, then everything seemed like it had purpose. So it wasn't me running around like a chicken with my head cut off and not knowing what up from down and which way I was going. I had a a concrete vision where I was going, how I was going to get there, and just decided to work toward that every single day. And slowly things started getting better and started getting better. And I sort of kept my head down and stayed focused and realized that it was I was in a dark period, but I knew that it was going to get better and, and things were going to improve. And like they say, it's always the darkest before dawn. And, you know, a couple, a few months after this whole thing happened, I met a girl, fell in love. Now we're married. She's my wife. So there was a lot of great things that came out of that dark time. I mean, I met my other business partner. Uh, I mean, a lot of, a lot of things happened quickly after that downtime. So I think just staying, staying focused on things are going to get better and, and making them get better because just sitting there saying, they're going to get better. They're going to get better. They're going to get better. They're not going to get better unless you take some action. So that was, that was what I did anyway. And when you made your plan, you, you found clarity. I want to know what your business goals were or your music goals were at at the end of it all. What did you decide your business and music goals were going to be? They were one and the same because I realized that I can combine the two. A lot of people think that I can be a musician or I can be a businessman and I can't be both. That I think that that is 110% false and people get shamed for wanting to make money in the music industry and and you know making money in the music industry. And it goes back to what I was saying earlier about being ethical. If I have performing and I'm running a business around something that I love, I'm being ethical about it. I'm improving people's lives and 
there's a Bentley in my driveway. Is that, is that wrong? So if I start, if I start chasing the money, then yes, it is wrong. And I, you know, the, the root of all evil is, is the love of money. So they say, if you can figure out a way to combine the two, then you should, which is what I did. So for me gaining clarity, I had to figure out a couple of things of one, what my wants were versus what my needs were. There's certain things that you need in life to be happy. And there's certain things that would be nice to have. So I went through, figured out my needs and my wants. And one of the main things for me is that I need to be geographically independent. So I don't know if you're familiar with that term or location independent, but the ability to work and live anywhere in the world. So I wanted to be able to go to California for three months, but continue to work. I wanted to be able to, you know, if I didn't feel like working on a Monday, I didn't have to. I didn't have to go into work every day. So I said, all right, I want to have, I want a business where it's based around music. I want to tour, but I also want to be location independent so I can work from anywhere. So you sort of become like a laptop entrepreneur. So I kept kept up with touring and all that stuff and sort of kept growing that network. But I said, I, I need to grow something online that allows me to make money without trading time for dollars. So that's where Drummer's Resource came from. And it was also a combination of that. And I was traveling up to the New York area because the girl that I was dating was living in the New York area. So I was meeting up with all these different drummers and I wanted to record these conversations. So that turned into the podcast. So I sort of had this light bulb moment where I said, oh, I can take, I can do this podcast. And and I was listening to a lot of podcasts because I was driving from Philadelphia to the New York area all the time. So I said, oh, I could take the, I could do this podcast. I could create this website. Then I could generate revenue from that. So that fulfills my location independent thing. Plus I'll be in New York. I can still tour. I can still play. So I just said, well, that's, that's what I'm going to do. That's the goal. So that's all that matters now. And that's where my focus is. After that moment of clarity, one of your main goals, although you might not have known the title, was was drummersresource.com. Is that right. true? Okay. Yep. yep. All right. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But first, I want to ask you about your self-released record. Uh, it was mm-hmm. Top 50 Record. Mm-hmm. Will, will you tell us about that? Um, what First of all, answer this. Uh how did it become top 50 and where was it top 50? It was a great record, man. Come on. Yeah. But there's, there's <laughs> so no, much no. more to it. I have a great record too. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm sure you know. I'd love to yeah. hear it actually. Um, so we had, so I put the record out with, it was myself, Joey DeFrancesco's brother, Johnny DeFrancesco is an amazing guitar player, Rich Bedessa and Paul Kleinfelter. And so we put this record out. We actually we wrote the record, recorded it in three days and put it out. So I I put it under a label of Vector Disc Records, which was just for distribution. And then we teamed up with another guy that that did a lot of radio promo for it. So we did a bunch of radio promo and went out and did interviews at all these radio stations and all that stuff. And the the momentum of it just kept picking up and picking up. And so it it, it peaked at number forty nine or something. So it like just it barely it just made it, but it was it was in the uh, in the top fifty for in the jazz category. And what was the timeline there? How long did it take to reach that point from the time you released it? From the time I released it, it was about. A month and a half, but it's cyclical. So that like that stuff comes and goes pretty quickly, you know. Right. 
I mean, at one time I was, the record was, was higher than, uh, Hugh Laurie. So he put out a record and my record was above his. And then, you know, two days later his shot up and mine sort of stayed the same, but his, his stayed on the charts longer. So I, th- it's a whole cyclical thing. And unless you have a lot of power and, and name behind it, it usually doesn't stay up there forever. So, right. Which is why I think it's a big deal that you even made it to that point. So I want to ask for the listener, if they desire to make a top, you know, whatever top 20, top 50 record for the recognition, right? Because that's a part of, uh, advertising maybe Mm -hmm. so what are some tips that you can give our listener on how to accomplish that i think one the i think the reason well i know the reason that this record did so well was because of who i had on the record i don't think that i would have been able to do it without the rest of the guys without glenn farrakhone who who mixed and engineered the record and he's a, a grammy nominated drummer and producer so I had him on the record working on it. I had Johnny DeFrancesco and I co-wrote the record together. The DeFrancesco name carries some weight. And put it first and foremost, putting out a quality record. And then the promotion behind it is the hardest part. And it ha- you have to be relentless about the promotion. And not in like a sleazy, bothersome way, but just constantly promoting it, constantly playing gigs around town and, and promoting it that way and touring. And you know, we actually, unfortunately, didn't do a lot of touring for the record. We were supposed to, and then just things happened and it just didn't end up happening. But so just, you know, staying, staying really hungry behind the record. And then we had great people on our team. So I had, you know, the design of the record was really good. So it, it looked good. I, made all the phone calls to the record stations and said, you know, and knew that the record was there because we had, I would shipped out 600 or 700 CDs to different radio stations and then called them. And then there was a promoter that was calling them as well. So it was, there was a lot of moving parts that were going on to make the whole thing happen. So it definitely wasn't just me doing it by myself. I don't, you know, I don't want anybody to think that I just cut this record and put it out and it shot to the top. Perfect. So, one thing I like about what you're doing is that you have uh, more than one way of sharing your music. And you said you tour and you have consulting and you do sessions and you have the website too. And I like that because that points out, hey, if you want to make a living in music, there's more than one way to do it. Mm-hmm. And you're you're a great example of that. And uh, and there's and I don't want to interrupt you, but yeah, there is. It's important for people to realize that if you want to make a career out of playing music, you're going to have to have multiple irons in the fire, period. No questions asked. Even guys that are doing major, major, major stadium arena tours also have nine other things going on and are writing books and have other businesses and are doing all these things. That's just the landscape of the music industry now. Years ago, guys were session guys and they were driving Rolls Royces and yachts. And that's just not the case anymore. So you have to adapt with what's going on now. But but if you want to do this long term and really make a career out of it, you have to have multiple irons in the fire. I'm not saying you have to go start a website and do all the stuff that I do, but you should have some other things going on, whether they're nine different bands or whether it's two bands and products or, or whatever it is. So I just wanted to point that out. Yeah, that's perfect. I have a story to piggyback on that. 
I went to uh, the JEN conference a couple years back, and we saw Jeff Coffin. I hope I'm saying his name right. Uh, sax player for the Dave Matthews Band. And he was uh, he had a clinic at the conference and a performance also. And we said hello to him. We were talking to him. You know, we helped him with his gear to his van because he had a he had booked a gig across town. And I just thought that was interesting. He took his band with him and they drove somewhere. It wasn't across town. It was actually out of town, actually. And they had a performance somewhere. Don't know where it was, but he, he said it was a few hours drive away. So meanwhile, a friend of I were walking in town to get lunch and we passed a club advertising Jeff Coffin tomorrow night. <laughs> I was like, man, look at that. And that's that's pretty interesting. So uh-huh. later the same day, I was in the lobby at the hotel approximately 1 a.m. So it was just late like that. And we saw Jeff. He just got back and, you know, talking to everybody at the conference. Mm-hmm. And I, I realized then what you just stated. It's like, wow, this guy, he does, I don't know if he has to do this, but or or not, but he clearly loves what he's doing, and yep. um, it just—I th- I think it says a lot to see someone uh, who reached that level of playing with Dave Matthews, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, still doing all of that. This is this is great. I mean, here in New York, I, I, where are you at? We're in Chicago. Oh, okay, so I'm in New York, and you know, I can go down to any club, and I can see, you know, Keith Carlock, who is the drummer for Steely Dan and Toto and all these other people, but he's playing at a, a dive bar, you know, on a Monday night, he doesn't need to do that gig, but he does it because he loves playing. So, you know, and it's, it's just more revenue. So why not, why not do that too? So it's, it's interesting once you really dive into this to see how everyone has multiple things going on. One thing that I really like is that, for people who like to teach, I love to teach. You clearly mm-hmm. love to teach. And we're musicians that are also good performers, but we also love to teach. Mm-hmm. That means that you can sell your knowledge. You don't have to only be in the classroom. That's not your only option. Right. So uh, what are some tips that you might give somebody who might want to teach in a different way that's not traditional well it's funny that you say that because i i love teaching but not in the traditional sense so i'm not a big one-on-one lesson guy um that's i don't i don't really enjoy that so i used to do it and i made decent money doing it it was like decent side money but i realized that i didn't love it and i said you know what i feel like i was doing my students a disservice because I was doing I was doing something that I didn't love just because it paid me. And I think a lot of musicians say, well, I don't have a gig right now, so I'll teach. And I think if you love teaching, then you should be a teacher. If you don't love teaching, then you should not teach, period. I don't care if it makes you – I mean it's, it's hard because if you're going to do that just for the money and you don't enjoy it, then why not just go get a regular job? Because I think that you're doing the people a disservice by teaching them if you don't love to teach. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to impart knowledge on people that I've learned over the years, but I didn't want to say, this is how you play a double paradiddle. This is how you play a single stroke roll. That's not interesting to me. I'm more of a, a 
sort of concepts and and philosophies and things like that. So that's why for me the drummer's resource works so well. Because and I will I do cover drum drum topics, but not specific technique stuff and and all of that. So with drummer's resource, I really wanted to be able to freely discuss those sort of things because I I I'm passionate about that and I can deliver that information very well and people respond to it. So for people out there who are thinking of ways that they can teach in a non-traditional setting or a non-traditional way, think about what you're good at. Think about some people are good on video. Some people are good behind a mic. Some people are good in person. Some people are really good writers. So I think that you need to figure out what your strong points are and really cater towards them and the stuff that you're not very good at don't do it. You're just wasting your time and everybody else's time. That's the truth. Very well stated. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I can't, can't really say much after that, but I, I totally agree with you, period. Just like you said, I, I believe you need to have joy in what you do mm-hmm. because that stuff translates, man. People can see and feel when you're sincere, joyful, and when you're not. And that has right. a great impact on a person's life, not just the, the class in the moment. Well, a lot of times they say that those who do do and those who can't teach. And I think that's that should not be so if it's it's the truth. I totally agree that it should be those who can do and those who love to teach also teach. And that's what I think it should be, because there's a ton of guys I know that are playing major, major level tours like stadiums and and arenas and they love teach. So they have a private practice and they teach. So. I don't want to hear that those guys can't do it. They can do it. They are doing it, but they love to teach too. So that's that's the one the uh, one addition that I would like to make to that. Here on Behind the Note Podcast is advice for a successful music career, and you've given us a lot of helpful tips. Just want to ask, is there any any last piece of advice that you'd like to leave us with for the DIY musician? I would say that you should gain clarity and focus on what you want and Make sure that everything, everything that you're doing every single day, you look at that and say, is this getting me closer to my goal or is this getting me farther away? And the things that are getting you closer, you should spend more time on. And the things that are getting you farther away, you should stop doing them immediately. When you get up in the morning, you plan your day and you start realizing, oh, I got this thing going on. I got this thing going on. Wait a minute. What's my goal? Okay. To get a touring gig. Okay, is going to play basketball for three hours with my friends getting me closer to this touring gig? It's not, then I should probably not maybe not get rid of that, but maybe do that for an hour to for exercise, not as a three hour hobby in the middle of the day. So it's just things like that that you can sort of tweak your schedule, but always use the barometer. Is this getting me closer or farther away from my goals? Thanks a lot, Nick. We enjoy having you on the show today. It was my pleasure, Chris. Thanks so much for having me, man. I wish you a ton of success with the podcast. It's great what you're doing. And that was our talk today with Nick Ruffini. Thanks again, Nick. We appreciate you. And real quick, I want to give you four takeaways from this interview, and there are more. Take from it what you will. But here's number one. Get clarity on what you desire. Create a roadmap on how to get there. Period. That's going to help you reach your goal a little faster than if you don't. Takeaway number two, you can be a business person and a musician. In fact, you really should do both. And there's no shame in that. And matter of fact, the most successful guys, that's exactly what they're doing. They've already learned and applied that lesson. And takeaway number three, 
regarding earning a spot in the top 50 of the music charts, you got to build a team. Designate assignments to the team and then let them go to work for you. As a matter of fact, that's just not for uh, climbing the charts, but anything, anything you, any goal that you have, it's better to build a team. Uh, takeaway number four, have multiple irons in the fire. You're a musician. I won't, I won't uh, say the year because this podcast is evergreen, but you're a musician and, and now it's do it yourself. It's, it's not you having to wait for permission anymore. So have multiple irons in the fire. Today's musicians need to do that. All right. Thanks again for pressing play. This has been a great time spent with you. Remember to go to iTunes and rate the show. We need that to become visible to more people. And in the future, I already have uh, interviews recorded with John Clayton, Chris Bodie, and many other great musicians. So stay tuned. Talk to you next week. God bless you.